thankful that you're here. You know, um, all through the Bible, you, you hear this word covenant. And, and, and that's an important word. We, we hear about the old covenant. And then now in 2021, we are in, under the new covenant. You've heard that word. A covenant describes this divine um, commitment. It's a divine decree. It's not like a covenant in your neighborhood where you like commit not to paint your house pink or whatever, uh, whatever your rules are if, if you live in a neighborhood. Um, but a covenant is this, is this divine interaction with God, this div- binding commitment. And what's amazing about God is from the beginning of human history, God selected a people and he made a covenant with them and said, you're going to be my people, and through you, the world is going to know there's a Savior. And what's amazing about God is in spite of the unfaithfulness of God's people, he kept the covenant. In spite of, like in our new covenant, like salvation, we understand that salvation is the greatest news the world's ever heard, right? And it's the greatest gift we've ever received, and, and when, when Christ saved me and saved you, he made a covenant with you, a promise with you, and it's not dependent upon you. It's not dependent on your efforts. And, and, and you know what's interesting? I, I have friends that don't know the Lord, and, and I see two extremes that happen. Uh, some of my friends that don't know the Lord just really have a tr- hard time recognizing that they're lost in the first place. And they think, I'm all right. I'm a pretty good guy. And, and that's a pretty girl. That, that's, a, that's a lie of culture and society when you really think about it and you really dig into human, the human story and the human heart. You realize, man, we got all kinds of problems. Uh, but so, so it's not really, it doesn't take too long to look into your, our lostness and recognize that we need a Savior. But, but I have some other friends on the other side of things that say, okay, I can admit that my human humanity is a problem, so now I'm going to try to earn my way to heaven. I'm going to try to do good works. Now, that's impossible too because, you know, um, here, here's the truth. It, if God had not entered human history and, and God had not set forth a plan to save humanity, if, if Jesus wouldn't have come um, and accomplished forgiveness on the cross, then here's what the human story would, would experience. The humanity would stand before a holy God and have no hope whatsoever. But Jesus came. Jesus entered the world, and, and, and he uh, established an old covenant with a people and said, look, keep my laws. Then Jesus came and established a new covenant. He went to the cross for us. Now, um, we're, we're in Nehemiah 10 today. And in Nehemiah 10, what you see going on is you see this, this covenant realized and, and a people saying, we're going to commit, we're going to make a covenant to follow through. Now, uh, you know, we're one of those churches that you need your Bible, and we're, we're going we're gonna to process some things uh, from the Scriptures. 
as we, as we look through Nehemiah 10, here's what I want us to do. I want you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. Now, um, Jeremiah, the, the reason that we're going to Jeremiah this morning at the start uh, to, to understand Nehemiah 10, um, Jeremiah was one of those prophets that, that Ezra and Nehemiah looked to. He was the one that, he was one of those prophets. Isaiah and, and Jeremiah predicted that, that look, you're going to come back and build the altar and build the city. So Ezra and Nehemiah were leaning into Jeremiah, what, what he said. Now, um, Jeremiah not only prophesied about the rebuilding of the altar and the temple, Jeremiah also prophesied about the new covenant, our standard. And, and I want you to look at that, Jeremiah 31. We're going to look at verses 31 through 34. I want you to stand with me, and let's process this new covenant for a second, and then we'll get into Nehemiah chapter 10. You're going to need to go to both of those places. But um, Jeremiah says this, verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write on their hearts and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now, in the New Covenant, the Bible reveals clearly in the Old Testament and in the New that, that God accomplished salvation through Christ. And it's the cross that, that stands, it's at the center of our salvation. The cross and the resurrection of Christ. And that when Christ died on the cross, he hung there for sinners. And when we put our faith in him, man, changed us. And it transformed us. And Jesus um, established this new covenant. Now, now in the old covenant, we need to understand, and we're going to process that, turn to Ezra 10, uh, because we're going to process this old covenant moment when, you've got to remember, in the old covenant, God's people had to keep the law of Moses. They had to follow the rules in order to f- have God's blessing. And the reason they were in exile in the first place in Ezra and Nehemiah is they had disobeyed the Lord. And, and we see this. And, and, and you know, what's interesting as, as we understand this, and this is a, an old covenant moment in Nehemiah 10. So we need to understand that. We, we need to interpret this through a new covenant lens, right? Because we're a new covenant people. We're not an old covenant people. But I think as we understand what God's people were doing in Nehemiah 10, it helps us learn to walk with the Lord. Because you know what? Even though I don't do anything to sustain my salvation, I can't keep my salvation. 
I can't be good enough to earn God's love. Christ gave me a gift and saved me. Um, And even though I, I can't earn my salvation, God moves me to make a commitment to walk with him, to grow up in my faith, right? Just like in the Old Testament, the way people lived matters today. The way we live matters. And when I look at 1 Peter 2, for example, 1 Peter 2 is just one of those moments where Peter is saying, as a follower of Christ, therefore, rip yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, Peter says, grow up in your faith now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And, and, and when I look at Nehemiah 10, I think that this chapter in Nehemiah sets a good example for us new covenant people. Because what are they doing in Nehemiah chapter 10? They are making a covenant. God made a covenant with them, and then they are making a covenant to keep a covenant. Okay, so let's, let's think about this. Um, Let's remember the context of Nehemiah. Remember, the, 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 if, you've, if you're visiting today, let me just try to catch you up. We've been in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah for months now. And we're just, this is kind of how we roll here. We, we, we track through books of the Bible most of the time. This is how we most of the time roll. And in Nehemiah chapter, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, these two books are, it's very important in the history of God's people because what's happening is they were in exile because they disobeyed the Lord. And then in, uh, it's interesting, in 539 BC, the history here, the Persians took over Babylon and the king of Persia did something crazy. He says, hey, all you Jewish people, if you want to go back and rebuild the altar, you can and they were like, oh my goodness, we can do this. And, and, and they go back to rebuild the altar. And then that's what happened in Ezra. Then in Nehemiah, they rebuilt the city. This was so very important because after Ezra and Nehemiah, as the history of the world unfolded, there would be 400 years of prophetic silence. There would not be another prophet uh, that would come onto the world stage for 400 years until John the Baptist was kind of that birth of John the Baptist was kind of crazy as he was born. And then Jesus was miraculously born, which we're going to celebrate in just the coming, coming weeks. Now, the the rebuilding of the altar and the rebuilding of the temple would set the stage for the entire world to notice John the Baptist and Jesus. So the work of, of Ezra and Nehemiah were important. Now, what you saw in the book of Ezra was interesting because um, in in Ezra, you see this problem that came up among God's people. You, you saw the first part of Ezra, they rebuilt the temple in chapters 1 through 6. And then in the second part of, the, of, the, of Ezra, you see God rebuilding his people. You see the same pattern in Nehemiah. The first six chapters in Nehemiah, they, you see God using his people to rebuild the city. And then what happens is God then rebuilds his people. And that's something that's important to see. Now, um, let's, let's pull some lessons here out of Nehemiah 
really the end of chapter 9. Look at the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10. You know, when you... When you and one of the things you see... Nehemiah 7, you see this list of names. In Nehemiah 8, they read the Bible. In Nehemiah 9, they confessed their sins. And, and then they respond to the law of God. Now, here's the first point I want you to see. Is that when, is that God calls you and I to this firm commitment. Look at 9 verse 38. Because of all this, he says, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Now, now what's interesting here is they make a covenant to keep a covenant. And I want us to see this morning that God calls you and I to a firm commitment. You know, we're living in an interesting day. And I want to ask you a question. Are you committed to Christ regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the cultural situation? I don't know about you, but it doesn't take you very, us very long to look at the cultural landscape and recognize things have changed. And, and we in my family, oh my goodness, we are are, are embracing the amazing reality that a grandchild is going to be born in our family. So my, my, in, in May, a, a grandchild will come into the world in our family. And I'll tell you, there are times that it's daunting to think, wow, I'm bringing a grandchild into this world that is changing so rapidly. But can I tell you, when I look at that reality, I'm excited about it. Because when I look at the future, do you know what I see unfolding right in front of our eyes? Do you realize that the end of cultural Christianity has just taken place? You know how cool that is? That means it's going to look different to follow Jesus. You, you know, you remember that famous quote by Brennan Manning? It was famous about 20 years ago. I, I don't remember when he wrote it, but, but he said this, the single greatest the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today are Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. And you know what I see unfolding right before our eyes? And if you would have told me that nine years ago when I became the pastor here that we would see such cultural change, I don't think I would have believed you. But here's where we are, though. Here's what's exciting about this. The end of cultural Christianity has taken place. And, and when I look at this passage, look at verse 38 again. God's people are setting an example for us that I think we need to pay attention to. They, they remember last week, if you were here, you, you saw at the end of chapter 9, they were repentant. They were getting right with the Lord. And what do they do when they got right with the Lord? They, they acknowledge their sin. They got right with the Lord. And look at verse 38. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant. Look at this. In writing, on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our leaders. 
Levites are priests. And what's cool about the, the lesson here and the, that I think we need to recognize here is that as a follower of Christ, you're going to have to put your name on the line. And I love what they did here. They put their name on the line. And when I look at our world that we're in, it's time to step up to the call. And, and, and cultural Christianity is over. You see, the first name you see in Nehemiah 10.1 is who? Nehemiah. He put his name on the line. Then you see in verse 8, there, there were the priests. They put their name on the line. In verse 9, we have the Levites. They put their name on the line. In verse 10, we have their brothers. Uh, they put their name on the line. And it's interesting, if you look at chapter 10, in the first 27 verses, they took down names. They made a list. And I don't think this is everybody on the list because if you look at verse 28, they simply summarize the rest of the people. And when I look at these names, I'm not going to read them because I can't pronounce most of them, but, but I don't think this list is representative. The, you, you know what this is telling us? They knew who was in and who was out. And, and can I, when I look at the cultural landscape of our world, we are, the stage has been set and is being set for casual Christianity to be no more. And I am grateful. So I don't look at our future as a, oh my goodness. I look at our future and say, we're going to be able to make a difference. We're going to be able to stand out in the world we are in. And I don't think it's a... a I think there's an important lesson here. Like today's new member Sunday. And I love it that, that in the midst of COVID, in the midst of our challenges uh, that we've been in, we've seen people join our church. Over 100 have joined our church. 13 have joined in, in Tulsa. And, and, and oh my goodness, did you catch that? 62 people have been baptized this year. That's amazing. That's incredible that, 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 look, God's at work in, in our church. And, and I know that, that it's interesting as I look at even church world that, that it's, do you realize it's becoming more and more rare for churches to ask you to join? They used to, when, if you have been around church world uh, for a long time, like I have, which I started going to church exactly nine months before I was born, and, and, you know, I was a church member before I was a Christian, and, and so, you know, you, it was normal for you to join a church. Now, we've not changed from our practices, but, but now it's abnormal to join a church. And I hear people say, oh, you know, the Bible really doesn't talk about church membership, but, um, uh, but I think what we're looking at in the, New Te- in the Old Testament here is an Old Covenant version of church membership. They're putting their name on the line here. And, and before you go, oh, Chris, you know, that's Old Testament. That's not the New Testament. Don't, uh, well, remember 1 Corinthians 10 tells us to look back at the Old Testament to remember, to see an example here. And, 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 and you know, I think that it's interesting. There's something to learn from, from this Old Testament example. I think there's a New Testament example as well in Matthew 18 when Jesus talks about church discipline. How do you discipline somebody? And, and when you look at Matthew 18, uh, you know, the only way you're going to be able to discipline one another is to know who's in and who's out. Now, as we look at Nehemiah and Ezra, we see this important lesson of the we, 
versus the me. And, and we, I think it's very important for us to understand the we. And this is a beautiful example. We, we've got it right in front of us today as people have joined our church this year and connected to the we. Um, and this list that we see in the first 27 verses, I think, teaches us the importance of signing up. And I want you to know you need a church family. And this is why if, if this is not the church for you, let us help you. We'll help you find, uh, um, find a church that you can plug into. But let's learn from Art's example today. Because he said something so very uh, divinely appointed today. As he got up and said, you know, I was church hopping for a while and, and plugging in, oh my goodness, I can't tell you how that's impacted my life. We're not meant to just shop. We're meant to be a part of a body, and we see this here. And, and this list teaches us that. You know what else this list teaches us in the first 27 verses? I, I think this list teaches us to rely on the support around you. That, that you know, look, there, there's... There are no Lone Ranger Christians. Is, does Lone Ranger even relate anymore? Does he, you, you guys know what the Lone Ranger is? Do you know? Addie, have you heard of the Lone Ranger? Okay, good. You know, sometimes, you know, I date myself by my illustrations, but Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? So we're not supposed to be by ourselves. And this list of people, look at verse 28. It says, the rest of the chapter 10, excuse me, Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 28, the rest of the people... The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, look at verse 29, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God. I want us to notice that, that they, they signed up. They said, we're going to walk in the law of God. And that's what church membership is. We're saying, look, let's walk together. Let's serve together. Let's, 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 let's come together and do something here. That's what I love about what Rob Rizzo's doing over Thanksgiving. You know, we need to serve together to go feed. We're serving together to feed people in, in Tulsa. We need your help. You ought to come. You ought to sign up. There's a way to do that. I think it's on our website somewhere. Look for it. I will too. Um, I'm going to sign up. Um, so, you know, they're, they're coming together. They're relying on the support around them. Oh, you realize that as we face the, as I raise my grandchild, I don't know if it's a boy or girl, I'm not sure yet. I almost, maybe I'm, maybe it's a boy, I don't know. As we raise this child, or actually, I spoil this child, let my daughter raise the child, but, um, but as we do this, we're not alone. We're together. You have a church family. And, and, and what you do is you see this example of relying on the people around us. That's why Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 that we looked at says, let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more, encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. So you see in this list the importance of God's people coming together as a we. Look at verse 29. 
they join with their brothers. I think that's an example. They join with their brothers, their nobles, to enter into a curse and an oath. They make a commitment to walk in God's law that was given to Moses, the servant of God, and to observe all the commandments of the Lord, our God, and his rules and his statutes. Now again, as we look at Ezra and Nehemiah, you see another example of how important it is to know the law of God. This is a huge theme in these books. And this is why I think it's valuable for us to dig into what the Old Testament says. Because you see a practice in the lives of God's people, know the law of God. And in Ezra and Nehemiah, they are coming to understand the law. How do we as as new covenant people understand this? Well, we need to know our Bible. This is why we got to be a church where, look, if we're preaching, you, you got to use this. You need to have it. You need to use your Bible. And I would challenge you, before you ever go to a church, you make sure they're using the Bible, right? Mark Penner and, and his wife shared in the first service about joining our church. They, they came to us, and, 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 um, and man, we're so grateful for them. And he's been coming to our prayer time every Wednesday night, and he's the one that said to me, he goes, you know, Chris, if you're visiting a church, I'm learning that you need to pay attention and you need to ask, what is this church praying for? Well, that's a great question to ask. You ought to, you ought to be investigating what are we praying for. When I look at this church or the, this, this example of, of God's people here, there's a challenge to know, their, know the law. I want to challenge us to know our Bible. You know that the Bible is our only offensive weapon, right? In the spiritual battle. Just this week, Thursday night, we, 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 were, uh, we had an ordination council of two men that have been in our body. One's in our body now, Jonathan Watts, who's on our staff at the Tulsa campus. We are going through the ordination process with him. Cody Tooley, who is now on staff at Northwest Baptist Church in Oklahoma City and was one of our interns. And we are going through the ordination process with, with them. And, and, and we had a two-and-a-half-hour grill session with them Thursday night. It was awesome. You know, we had a moment of encouragement with them. And, I, and God put on my heart to say to them, I said, guys, I want to challenge you to know the word. Memorize the Bible. Because as you memorize the word, you will find power. You know what Hebrews 4.12 says? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. And we are a church that are learning how valuable, valuable it is to know our Bible. Because God's word shapes our thinking. It shapes our direction. And I want you to know that's what, that's a lesson we see in the people of God here. Know your Bible. Let's learn from this, this people as they, as they come together and make a covenant, make a commitment. Because the Bible is powerful. And you see Nehemiah and the people of God going, Lord, we commit and we put in writing that we will follow your word. And man, I I love that kind of diligence. And I think that we need to lean in to this kind of commitment. Now, let's understand this. This is not to earn salvation. No, this is because God has given us salvation. Because God has come to us and God has rescued us and God has saved us. We are moved to say, Lord, we're going to follow you during our days. 
in this moment. But, but you know what's interesting as, God's, as, as Nehemiah 10 unfolds, you see these three commitments that take place. Because remember, they, they were coming out of Nehemiah chapter 9 where they were, were repentant. And now in chapter 10, they're going, okay, let's, let's, put some, let's put some power to this. Let's put some feet to this. And look at verse 30. They, they make a commitment in writing, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. I think that's interesting because as you notice the, in Ezra, we saw this at the end of Ezra, that they made the mistake of marrying foreign wives. And, and, and some people, and again, you see in, chapter, in Nehemiah, there's that same temptation to go marry other people. And there's, there's some modern readers that will take this passage and go, man, God's people were racist. They were just discriminating against other other races. But that's not what was going on here. This is not about race. This is about following God. This is about following Yahweh. And, and the problem of intermarriage is a religious issue, not a race issue, because we see in the New Covenant and the Old Covenant that there were non-Jewish people that were coming to faith in Yahweh. There were, there were Gentiles, like all of us, like most of us, I would say most of us in this room are not Jewish. So we were Gentiles brought in. So this commitment to not intermarry with non-believers is very important. And now, there's a lot we could say here. We could camp on marriage, right? And I would say if you're single today, you should not marry a, an unbeliever. Don't marry an unbeliever. You know, you know as a pastor, it is... Uh, I'm not allowed, according to Scripture, to marry a believer and an unbeliever together. That's why I ask. Every, every wedding I do, I say, look, are you both believers? And if one's a believer and one's not a believer, I'm like, I can't marry you. Because the Bible says I, to not unequally yoke. Who you marry is very important. And, and now, now, you may say, well, Chris, I'm already married to a non-believer. Well, uh, the Bible's not saying you should go dump your husband or dump your wife right now. You need to stay married. First Peter 3 talks about a principle for a, for a wife with an unbelieving husband says, look, you should, I think the principle applies if you are a husband with an unbelieving wife. The principle is that you, your behavior will minister and will reach out and will persuade an unbelieving spouse. But let's, if you're not married, look, don't enter into that relationship. I think that's an important lesson here. But, but let's look deeper for new covenant people. I, I think that principle applies. But I think the real point is we need to guard our heart relationships. Guard your heart relationships. Marriage is a heart relationship. Marriage is a relationship that influences your heart. And look, we, we, have a, we have heart relationships with, this peop, with, with people here. We're called to go inject ourselves among a community, among a city where people that, among people that don't know Christ. But, but can I tell you, we are called to be the influencers, not the influenced. And it's important for us to guard our heart relationships, to make sure we have a body together that, is, that, that really is protecting one another. That's what I think the principle here, Ephesians 5, talks about how marriage is about Christ and the church. But 
But though there's a principle about intermarriage, I think a point we as new covenant people can embrace is let's guard our heart relationships. There's a lot we could talk about there, but let's look at verse 31 because there's three issues that I want to cover quickly. Verse 31 says, not only on the marriage issue, which we'll revisit again at the end of Nehemiah, but in verse 31, and if the peoples of the land bring goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. So another commitment that they are making is not just marriage, but they are also saying we're going to keep the Sabbath. Now, this is a, an old covenant principle. This Sabbath is the, the, the day of no work. And, and they have a Sabbath year where you cancel all debts that are owed against you. And, and, and in the Old Testament context, the old covenant context, keeping the Sabbath was a moment of trusting the Lord with your work. You know, just... Um, uh, you know, when you think about keeping the Sabbath, there's a lot of, as a new covenant uh, follower of Christ, here's a verse, Romans 14, 5 and 6, talks about, Paul is saying, look, th- there's different rules in the new covenant. The Sabbath principle is still relevant, but, but what's the lesson on the Sabbath principle for us? I think the lesson here is trusting the Lord with your work. You know, learn, like, uh, it's interesting, as I, uh, the other day, I was, I was at the mall, and I was getting something at the mall for my daughter, and, and, um, and I, I, I'm, wa- I'm waiting for this thing to be finished, and I'm walking to the mall, and this guy at a kiosk, you know, they always talk to you, and, uh, and he's like, hey, can I show you this stuff to clean your shoes? And I was like... I, I made too much eye contact with him, so I said, all right. And so I go, and I thought, man, I'm going to share the gospel with this guy. And uh, then I had to buy it because it cost me 50 bucks to share the gospel with this guy, but it was worth it. I used my wife's salary. And, um, but, but, um, but he was telling me, man, I, I don't have time. He goes, I, I, I know the Lord, Chris. I've come to Christ, and he goes, but, but man, I'm working. I've got a baby on the way. I don't have time to go to church. I was like, oh, Terrell, I don't think you have time not to because you need the people of God. You, and, and, and we kind of dug into that moment after we kind of established a trust in Christ there. And, you know, when I think about the Sabbath, the principle of, of the Sabbath year, the principle in the Old Testament, the, the principle of honoring the, the Lord's day, it really, you know, the principle is this. I want to challenge you to trust the Lord with your work. Boy, that's relevant today, right? I think about all the, the, the moments, the, the people in our church that are, that are wrestling with vaccine requirements. Or tensions about jobs. What is the lesson here, I think, for us? It's incredibly relevant. Let's trust the Lord with our work. You know, I've seen that lived out in front of me. You know, before I came here, I was a youth minister in Oklahoma City. And there's this family in my church in Oklahoma City that started a little business And they said, you know what? From the very beginning, we're going to honor the Lord with our work. So they started this business, and they said, we're going to close on Sundays. 
There's a retail business. Sunday's a big day, shopping day. We're going to close on Sunday. Lord, we'll just trust you with that. And they, they did okay. They started this little company called Hobby Lobby. You heard of that? It's kind of a big deal. And, and I've watched this family, the Green family, just say, we're going to honor the Lord with our work. So, so let's, let's lean into this Old Testament law, and let's learn a lesson here. I want to challenge us. Let's trust the Lord with our work. Let's trust the Lord with the works of our hands. Now, again, there's a lot to lean into on the Sabbath question, but there's a third one. Look at verse 32. He says, We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. Look at verse 35. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Look at verse 38. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chamber of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. Now, now let's scan this real quick. I want you to notice some things. As we come to the third obligation here, they, the obligation they committed to, we're not going to marry foreign wives, the, we're going to keep the Sabbath. And then this third obligation, look at the references to the temple. Verse 32, for the service of the house of our God. Look at verse 33, for all the work of the house of our God. Look at verse 34, to, the, to our God's house. Verse 35, to the Lord's house. Verse 36, to the house of our God. Verse 36, who serve in our God's house. Verse 37, at the storerooms of the house of our God. Verse 38, in the house of our God. Verse 39, we will not neglect the house of our God. What's the point? What's the principle to learn from here? I think it's this, that all your money is God's money. Learn to give. Learn to give. And you know, I, I don't want you to miss this, that when it comes to, the, to giving, look, God's calling us to, to learn to trust him with all of our stuff. And I don't want you to miss the joy of, of trusting the Lord. Do you realize that, that I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking ahead at our church with such expectation? Because, you know, this coming year, as we start into 2022, do you know what, what, what God has provided for every one of our church members? We are giving every one of our church members financial peace uh, resources for free. You could download it for free. You're going to be able to have it just at your, um, just for you to learn how to, 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 to give generously, to save wisely, and to live appropriately. And I'll tell you, when God's people start getting right with him, and this is what's going on here, Nehemiah is saying to God's people, let's, let's sign your name, get on the dotted line, let's, let's commit to following Jesus. Yahweh there, us, 
Jesus. And, and you know what? Anytime God's people get right with him, get ready. Get ready for the spiritual attack, but also get ready for impact. Because what's going on in Nehemiah? They built the altar. They built the temple. And, and they are preparing the way for the Messiah to come. You know what we're doing? We're called at this time in the history of the world. And guess what? The Messiah is coming again. And it's our job to serve the Lord so faithfully right where we are to prepare the world for a second coming of Christ. Boy, can I tell you what has happened in the life of our church? Can I tell you something that has impacted me that I cannot get over? And it happened five years ago. Five years ago, God brought to our church, Calvary Baptist Church, that was an historic lighthouse. And do you know what? They were almost done. Their doors were about to close. Think about that. That has rocked my world. Because I think about this church and the calling that we have. And you know what I am so grateful for our church? When, when we discovered that, you know what this body said? Not on our watch. You know, there are some churches that God, God shuts down the lampstand. But as this came to us, we said, not today. And this year, 13 people have now joined that church. And oh my goodness, last Sunday I had to get out of here because I drove down there and preached in Spanish, kind of. <laughs> and it worked. And you know what? God's at work. And that's why God has called us to learn from this Old Testament example, this Old Covenant example of God's people saying, we got work to do. We got a job to do. And it's this church's job to pave the way for the second coming of Christ. And I'll tell you what, as, a, as your pastor, I'm not just looking ahead at 2022. I'm thinking about 2035. And the gospel continuing through this body that we do, we are so faithful to the Lord that there's never a moment where this church is in a spot where the doors are about to shut ever. I serve on the IMB board with a pastor named Marshall Blaylock. He pastors a church that's like 300 years old in South Carolina. Think about that. For 300 years, one generation passed the baton to the next, and they're still sharing the gospel in South Carolina. Boy, when God's people sign their name up, here I am, Lord. I'm committed. They help each other. They go back to the Bible. 
They, they trust the Lord with their work. And then they say, hey, let's learn to give. Everything I have is from the Lord. You, you watch, church family. God is positioning us to become a, a church full of people that don't have any, that learn how to give generously, save wisely, live appropriately. And we are going to become a church. We are already becoming a church that gives generously, saves wisely, lives appropriately. And I'll tell you, when I look at what God, the story God's going to write here all the way to 2035, and I'm just guessing that I might live that long. We'll look back and see the gospel continuing. Because you know, when I look at this room and I think about what God's done here, what I don't want to overlook, I don't want to overlook these empty seats. Right now, I want you to look around at the empty seats. And I wonder who God's going to use in this room to share the gospel with the Terrells at the mall or to walk next door and go, hey man, let me you know, what I said, you know what I said Thursday night to these two guys going into ministry? I said, I want to ask you a question, and this is a tough question. I said, share the gospel with me right now. And they articulated it. So that's good. And then I looked them both in the eye. I said, when was the last time you were so moved by the salvation that came to you? that you've shared that with somebody else. Can I ask you that question? When's the last time that you were so moved by the new covenant, by, by, by Jesus coming into your life, that you couldn't be quiet about Christ and the hope that he's brought to you? You know what I pray that we are? I pray that we are a church that is awake can I tell you that, that Jesus has told us in Matthew 9, for 2,000 years, it's been harvest time. We have work to do. Oh, Jesus brought a new covenant to us. He saved our souls. And that's the news the world is desperately needing to hear. And do you know what I read in my Bible and I see that we are Christ's ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5.20. It is as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you're here today and you're watching online, I know we've had some technical difficulty today. So it may look different online today. But you know what? If you're here online or here in the room and you don't know Christ, oh, come to Jesus. Oh, he'll change you. He'll save you. No matter who you are, or where you've been, or what you've done, he'll save you. For those of you that are walking, you've known Jesus. You know Christ as your Savior. 
C.S. Lewis was right when, when he said that, that, look, if Jesus really did enter human history, he really did live a sinless life, he really did die on the cross, he really did rise from the dead. That must not, that is so great, that is so incredible. And that this Jesus who did this did it for you and took your place. That is so great that following Jesus, coming to Christ, sharing the gospel cannot be mildly important. Is that mildly important to you? Oh, it can't be. I ask that you get right with the Lord. Be willing to sign your name. These days are too critical, and life is too short for Jesus to be mildly important to you. Come to Jesus. Joe's going to come, because i got to land this plane. Because now I'm just preaching. But we need to respond the Lord. We need to have a vision of faithfulness that extends generation to generation. Father, we give you this, I give you this message Father, you know this is the best I got today. I give it to you. I thank you for how your word motivates us and moves us, challenges us, confronts us. Father, I pray that we'd be a church that trusts in you and that honors you in everything we do. Thank you for the new members that have come. I thank you for those in, that are in this room that, that even today they said, I got to join that church. Oh, Lord, bring them. Father, use us. Thank you for the 62 that have been baptized. Oh, we praise you for that. Lord, lead us. Move us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.